0: Hallelujah. This is illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I did the research this week. Oh man, I watched both a TV series and a film. We are covering the topic of mega churches because you know what? The Righteous Gemstones, the massive hbo series has just premiered its second season to great critical acclaim and uh the eyes of tammy faye recently just came out starring jessica chastain and andrew garfield which are just now garnering some praise for their performances These two pieces are a bit very different. One is uh, strictly uh, based off of a a real person, real things, and one Mm -hmm. is a a, a comedy, satire, amalgamation. But they have a very common thread, and it's an interesting thing that we thought could be nice to peel apart today.
1: Yeah. Mega churches. As we explore the concept of why this now, here are two pieces of media very different but very similar. Seemed like nothing (laughs) we knew anything about. Although Evan and I both come from the South where there are many, many churches. and uh, My it, mom was yeah. pretty
0: religious. I've been to at least a few services of similar churches' stature, but no, right. nothing quite of gemstone uh, level, nothing quite Tammy Faye level, but yeah. g- barking up that tree, certainly uh, you know, aspiring in that well, direction. Well, it reminded
1: me when we talked about Hillbilly Elegy, how they completely mm. dropped all religious undertones within... The Southern culture. And so this picks that back up with a critical eye. So one of the things, reason we're talking about this is looking into the numbers, even though there were a bunch of scandals, which we'll get into in the 80s, the spread of this has more than quadrupled in the US in the last two decades. Lord, And on the worldwide side in 2007, this data is accurate. Five of the 10 largest Protestant churches in the world are in South Korea. Really? Which I knew nothing about. And that's then fascinating. The largest church auditorium called the Glory Dome in Nigeria opened in 2018. And this is a hundred thousand seater. Oh my God. <laughs> and at, at least in the US, on any weekend, one in ten Protestant churchgoers, so that's not Catholic and the other right. denominations, but one in ten attend some sort of mega church service. My gosh. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. It, so from my perspective, I, you know, I, without, you know, knowing without knowing anything, it felt like, you know, oh, yeah, back in the 90s, this stuff all blew up. <laughs> and then it kind of went away, went out of cer- it went out of style. And that was the like, even when I went to a few and during the 2000s, they called the odds, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I went a few times, you know, it, from my perspective, I was like, okay, this is still on a decline. It seems that's the complete opposite. It seems as if the the public perception is as if this kind of went away and became unfashionable, but it's actually gotten far more prevalent.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and just to set the record straight, you know, this is not a lambasting of no. Christianity by any means, nor are... These materials necessarily doing that because you can't sell a show or a feature film
0: on the basis of we don't like Christians. You that apps that, that's not that, not at all. So both of these in their own ways are are talking about power st- dynamics, power dynamics in a family lineage, legacy. Right. Um, so it, these are they're doing it in, in very different ways, which I which is why I think they're so so interesting to compare. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I actually I'm current on Gemstones. I've been watching it since it premiered. To Answer it with something like Tammy Faye was was really nice to for to ground myself without having to do the show yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and like you said, Righteous Gemstones is more on the family of famous yet dysfunctional televangelists. Yes, it
0: really. I mean, I watch the show, and all the time I'm going, man, this is this is a, a a show and. This is a show about Arrested Development, obviously this right. is a show called Arrested Development, but this is a show about a family of adults who stopped maturing at 13, 14, mm-hmm. um, and there's so much to be said about how that happens to people, uh, and it, it takes a, a funny route, a satirical, hard comedy route, mm-hmm. uh, but there's much to talk about, and so again, just to reiterate, this is not a a... a bunk on, on Christianity. This we're strictly talking about megachurches and megachurches has become a way to talk about uh and televangelism abuse of power. A televangelism yeah. is is just become a new way, a, a way that we're seeing in media right now to talk about abuse of power.
1: Right. So the origin story for righteous gemstones, Danny McBride, who went to the same school we did before we were there mm. many million moons ago, but he has has a lot of material that deals with the South. Maybe most prominent eastbound and down is kind yes. of this, yeah. Take most on most of but- the
0: stuff that they do, I think, is generally uh, in the South. It's not right, necessary. Yeah. It's that's always that's always some subtext of the of the material that they're yeah. going after.
1: But he was hitting on the pulse of well, he had said. He was just interested in these 80s, nighttime, wealthy family, almost soap opera, like Dallas Dynasty, Falcon Crest. Yeah. He wanted to do something like that. Ironically, also Succession, which became very big.
0: Yes, yes. Was Huge. filming
1: the same time they were filming this. So, and then Yellowstone is also super big and that's also like a wealthy family, but they own a ranch instead of a church. You know, (laughs) take out the
0: billionaire corporation, put in a ranch, take out the ranch, put in a mega media.
1: Yeah. It's all in the same wheelhouse. And he had just moved to Charleston, South Carolina a couple years before starting this show. He grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, but a lot of his friends and their families all moved back to the South and he saw all these churches and he had said, well, I had been in LA for 20 plus years, how church had changed because he had come from this small church, but he's just looking around where he is now and seeing these pastors as rock stars. And he's like, obviously every church isn't even remotely like this, but there's even that there's this type of pastor that has this inflated sense of self, that they're a celebrity bigger than God, is a great premise for the ideas I want to play with. Right. I love this as far as the origin story for his creative journey. His mom was in charge of the puppet show ministry for the, you know, kids sermon before mm-hmm. the actual service in their small church and he said it just became <laughs> this enterprise and they were like minor celebrities in the church and people oh, were offended yeah. if they didn't get asked <laughs> to voice one of the puppets and Oh it, you know, gosh. it was just these three-page morality tales <laughs> of don't steal and don't do this and watch out for this and. But she's he's, he could see her spending the time rewriting them and working yeah. on them and making the puppets and the enthusiasm she had for the whole endeavor. He, you know, he's like, I don't think she likes oh, or precious. knows what I do, but she's just glad that I'm not homeless. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just interesting that it, even though it's a completely different sort of story, <laughs> uh, um, puppet show he saw well, that. Well,
0: even on that small scale, you can see, like you're saying, is they, they become they they have this this sense of power, <laughs> you know, and that and listen, you laugh at it. And that is exactly yep. what they said. We're gonna make a show just about that. And that's what they, they seem to do that all over the place. That was very much the the joke of vice principles. I mean mm-hmm. just the title, you know it's yeah <laughs> you know that it is it is that is the concept.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I I know there's a ton of things that he was saying. It's not based on one specific pastor or one specific right. scandal, there's so many parallels we could cover. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'd like to just go into sort of the history of the televangelist side of things, Please. weaving in the mega church stuff as that's well. That's what we yeah. do
0: here. Is, we've got these two pieces of content here with this big joining thematic between them, this device between them, but we're trying to trace back the root. Where does this grow from? Mm-hmm. This is not the first uh, and, 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 then we think of, Oh yeah, well that Tammy Faye. No, 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 no. It goes, it goes way, way back. Tammy yeah. Faye is, is almost the call co- is the, the galvanization. <laughs> it was the, like we're saying, like we, like we're saying the numbers explode after what happens to them. So it, it almost is if the galvanization happens. Then that almost seems like the, like you're saying the end, where is the beginning? <laughs> we got to go way back.
1: So telly is distance and evangelism is ministry. I didn't realize that this is a uniquely American phenomenon and we'll see that it comes from certain deregulated media practices and then combined with the large Christian population to Mm. fund said practices. So maybe some big names that you recognize from Sunday school or otherwise, but Billy Mm. Sunday, I had heard that name before and he was a baseball player in the late 1800s and became this evangelist revivalist on the trail. He didn't do so much print or other media. It was mostly face-to-face and also without electronic amplification. Some people estimate he preached to more than 100 million people over the course of his life, just going on the trail in the Midwest and beyond. But of course, money then also becomes a part of it, which was interesting to me. So between 1908 and 1920, he had earned over a million dollars, which the average worker would have earned under 14000 in that same span of time. Although- You know, he gave most of it to charity and whatnot, but he was not without his levels of usage of that. His family was always well dressed; they bought land, but they it wasn't extravagant to the degree that people would be pointing fingers. He never owned a car, for example.
0: Interesting. Okay,
1: basically ended into the 1920s when people were more attracted to radio, which was coming out, and then film as well. Gotcha, and also his brand of. Ministering was very straight laced. He criticized dancing, playing cards, theater, even reading novels. Fun, he thought, were <laughs> was was beyond the pale. Yeah, so atrocious. <laughs> so that doesn't really work with uh, the new media coming out. Radio being the primary one, because mm. always preaching the gospel had been sending out for you know missionaries. That's after Jesus's resurrection. It's the dispersal of the apostles. That's one of the primary tenets. And it Mm -hmm. was through printing press, sending Bibles and tracts. But big time in the 1920s radio, Christians are among the first producers of radio programming because it's extremely useful in the developing world outside of the US where missionaries are banned or preaching is illegal. So if you can transmit it, then you don't have to go in. So that became a big piece of it. And then this is where I really sunk my teeth into the research is the largest person of this time. Building up the first mega church, going into radio, all of the things that you might say are the genesis of the movement up to today come from this one person, Amy Semple McPherson, a woman preacher, which I mm-hmm. baffles me in the 1920s that you think that that would immediately be thought of as strange. But she she is the originator of all of this in the U.S., wow. and it has an even closer relationship to you and I. She founded the Foursquare Church, which is housed under the Angeles Temple, which is in Whoa. Echo Park. So this is all oh, in Los yes. Angeles. Yes, it's on the yes. north. It's yeah. It's on the north side of Echo Park Lake, and I have walked past that tons of times <laughs> and thought nothing of it. But right. that's the that's the first mega church in the US that was built in the 1920s.
0: No! Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. fantastic.
1: And people would also think that Los Angeles, the, you know, the den of Hollywood and sin and and uh, licentiousness we. would yeah, would be the, the the founding of these, well, maybe it parallels with that in, in yeah. some people's minds, but just interesting. It was also the largest dome in North America when it was built. Oh, wow. That and cool. it cost over 3.2 million by today's money, which was huge yeah. to, to just go into building this thing and was super popular, 40 million visitors in the first seven years in wow. the 1920s. So wow. the denomination is Pentecostal, which... Dabbles more in these other practices, public faith healing, speaking in tongues, that kind of stuff. Okay. And after the tent revivals and traveling that she had done, she stayed in Los Angeles because a huge bulk of the people that come to this is the tourists that are coming to Los Angeles in the Definitely. time. So it really isn't the tried and true people, but this is how she sees her ministry instead of touring. Well, just get all the well, people I that think are it's already a great, I, touring.
0: <laughs> I think it's a great way. It's almost like the radio going across enemy lines. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to go to these people all across the world. They're coming to this place. <laughs> if you're right there, you're all over
1: the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, a lot of practices that were questioned then, but were are obviously given good regard now, racially integrated which is crazy oh, yes. and yeah, helped a lot wow, of Hispanic yeah. ministries in LA. And she did do a lot of public service. I mean, Great Depression was happening. So soup kitchens, free clinics, tons of donations, rallying the fire department and police to help just like a lot of stuff that she was right. involved in beyond just bringing in money to build this church because That's great to hear yeah.
0: because uh, and and to match that with the Tammy Faye aspect is her her affinity for the LGBTQ oh, yeah, community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean okay. I was like okay at least okay there's there's conflict there's scandal mm-hmm. there there's trauma of course but there was, you know, there was actually, like you're saying, there was actually some real good done, and mm-hmm. she like, and and we're getting a cart before the horse here, but Tammy Faye did real work in that area mm-hmm. where nobody was interested in doing that
1: work. Yeah, no, that's a good parallel. Yeah, so sh- the other thing that we can point to with Amy McPherson was her style, her the publicity, the visuals, the showmanship, because she still mm-hmm. is also doing all yes. the radio stuff as well. But then the reason you'd go to this church is. Her interest in I guess you could say like visual aids or motifs yeah. <laughs> for her for her sermons and whatnot so in one a couple examples in one of them she had chartered a plane and arranged for followers and church members and the press to come to the airport and then the plane failed to take off and just nosed down on the uh, tarmac. oh no, and she used it as a metaphor for sin and temptation. <sighs> She staged oh. this whole. She, she winged it. She.
0: she well, no, no, that's she st- what you get. That's well, she
1: no. She staged it. That was the whole oh, point. Oh,
0: oh, oh! I thought. Yeah. I thought she just went with it as it occurred. No, she, no, no. This was. Just... <laughs> so she crashed the plane <laughs> on purpose.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't. It, it failed to take off. It wasn't. It was coming in and crashed. You know, sure, but, sure, sure. But still, that that she would do that and get everybody to come. To see this my, thing.
0: I only I say that because my dad's a uh, my oh. dad is a private pilot. So I'm like, oh, if you like nose a plane, like even a small private plane yeah. down like crash is uh, a yeah, big yeah, word, yeah. but yeah. like it's a lot
1: of damage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and then the other one that of note, she dressed in policeman's garb with a siren and drove a motorcycle up the stage onto the pulpit. Oh, whoa. With a cool. siren <laughs> saying, Stop your speeding to hell, just really <laughs> evocative.
0: That's my, that is my <laughs> Halloween
1: costume. <laughs> just great theatrical imagery. So that was the whole thing with then this megachurch. You know, they built sets for the service. They had an orchestra for music. She incorporated live animals if needed. It was just wild for the 20s. Sacrosanct. I wanted to yell, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did not, you know, the, the controversy is because think about Billy Sunday, who doesn't even want you to read a book hmm. To have all of this in God's house is quite a lot. And so. Well, you got to
0: get got to get people
1: in. <laughs> you have to get them in on something. You have to be into the, the
0: bells, the whistles, the twinkling of the lights. You have yeah. to get them in. How are you going to, if you can't, if you're not getting kids in, and how is way, this going to go forward? What else
1: is going on in Los Angeles to get them to come on a Sunday night? to this thing right, that you've got. Right. So the Sunday night services are so large that it points extra trolleys and the police were needed to route traffic through Echo Park. It's
0: fashionable, a Sunday night service. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so even though, with like I said, with all the tourist stuff, 10% of the Los Angeles population had membership to this temple Whoa. at the time, which think, could you say 10% of oh Los Angeles go into church now? No. Oh. The big thing that set her off, along with all of her practices in the church, whether or not you were partial to the faith healings and those practices, along with her evocative methods of getting people in, there was a huge scandal, which I don't know if there's anything like this in Righteous Gemstones, but it just made me think of something mm-hmm. that they would do or or would be. Right. So in May of 1926, she was at the beach in Santa Monica, Ocean Park Beach, and she disappeared. Poof, gone. People thought maybe she drowned and... Divers were sent to search and the the all call went out. Sightings were reported everywhere. There was a time where she was reported in, long? A, in a dozen different cities. This was five weeks and they oh, had gosh. Pr- pronounced her, you know, they had, were preparing a memorial service for her at the end of oh. June and they get a call from a hospital in Arizona. She's there. She's found. She came to with some people and. Her story was that there was a couple at the beach that wanted her to pray over her sick child. They went to the car with her and she was shoved in, drugged, driven to a shack in the Mexican desert and was being held hostage. And she escaped and walked through the desert for 11 hours and collapsed at the border. And this couple found her. And upon her return to LA, I mean, this is media chaos at this point. She had a better turnout than Woodrow Wilson's visit. To LA. That's how big she was at the time. Immediately then, legal proceedings. Because if you say somebody kidnapped you, who did it? Who's to blame? What's it for? Everything's going to get involved. So prosecutors come in. The question then becomes, look at her whole persona. Is it a big publicity stunt? What is going on with this? And then there was this whole scuttlebutt that she ran off with a former employee to Mexico and was trying to cover it up. She was charged then because it becomes a legal proceeding with criminal conspiracy, perjury, obstruction of justice. Oh my gosh. All of this could have led to 42 years in prison. And if you can just imagine any sort of legal proceeding and the media going on it and back and forth, it was just a huge, huge talk at the time in Los Angeles. Ultimately, there was a lack of evidence and witness testimony was faulty and so on. And so the charges were dropped. But okay. from then on, it was very difficult for her to get the same level of interest. Oh, and as well with that, because of all of the allegations, there was even more allegations of love affairs. And by 1931, she just had a full-time chaperone so that she could be guarded against any allegations of wow. where she was and what she was doing. She was under that much scrutiny. Wow. Um, so I yeah, I don't know if there's any kidnapping or craziness like that, but it, well, it, there's.
0: <laughs> I mean, in both, I'm getting parallels really in, in both, but Uh I'm, I'm really drawn to in the, in Tammy Faye, how it was their uh, trying to cover up each other's affair that Mm -hmm. brought it all out, um, that it was all basically a complete accident And it wasn't even about what was, you know, Mm -hmm. what he was doing behind the scenes was completely unbeknownst to her in so many ways that it was through the, it was through trying to cover up each other's affairs that it all spilled out that way. So I'm just thinking about the ways in which these, these people in power are trying to cover up and misdirect, like, look over here while I hide this and how, uh, how it all spills out in that direction. I mean, yes, there's kidnappings and that kind of thing, but Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of the question, yeah. it, once that question was introduced for Tammy Faye, it never stopped. Right. Yeah, and it ate true. them alive. Yeah.
1: So that continues with Amy. I th- Also, speaking to the family stuff of Gemstones, and I, I think it's a whole family enterprise with the Bakers, her, uh, mm. Amy's mother was a big part of her management and administration of this church enterprise. And in... 1927, her mother's name is Mildred. She didn't agree with breaking the sort of religious and secular barriers like she thought this was going too far with the way that she was presenting Christianity. So her mom left the temple and a large part of the congregation went with her 300 of the choir. And when she left, was replaced by other staff and they started doing a bunch of random stuff. They got into hotel building and cemeteries and land sales and plunged the church into debt. And when she came back, and then left again. Amy suffered a nervous oh breakdown and was gone for ten months. So that again then adds on to the layer of scandal. See, and like what
0: you're talking about is also public in in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I'm like the kidnapping plot of the. Season one of *Righteous Gemstones* doesn't necessarily strike the chord for yeah. me because it's not a public thing. It's very much an mm-hmm. internal family matter, and it doesn't destroy the family. Yeah, uh, you know, we, I don't want to spoil anything, but no, no, there no, is, not, yeah. and there. There's a family member who poses to get kidnapped, <laughs> right? Um, but it seems like the story that they are finally centering on, which is the more the, the how did we raise a family of children like this, mm-hmm. is actually going to eventually momentously break this family apart which just feels like we're hot on the heels of that real story right now that mm-hmm. was it felt like the overarching plot for season one was the kidnapping plot but that ended up being much more of a moral turn for the characters internally inside the family yeah and it did actually to have any consequence on them
1: yeah it is interesting r- regardless of what the you know because i don't know i'm sure danny mcbride he did his research. They're not going to pull from this woman in the 1920s life, but it just is interesting that within this sphere of building a giant church, there could be, if people are watching the Righteous Gemstones and being like, no, there's, yeah. you know, like, no, they're, they're very much fr- the first person to do it, actually. No, there's
0: precedent <laughs> for like every piece of this. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that was wild to me. last little bit of Amy's story, when World War II came around, she did a a different thing than most of the other churches and rejected the pacifist viewpoints of the Pen- of the oh, other yeah. Pentecostal churches and was big on the war effort, sold 150,000 war bonds in one hour through her wow. radio show, got 2,800 pints of blood for the Red Cross. She got a special wow. citation from the treasury and the army made her an honorary colonel. Uh, oh my she, she brought it back around essentially. And uh, later in life, it was said that Charlie Chaplin attended her services and helped her with her presentation. Oh wow. And then as far as the money thing cuz that's again what we're circling around when she died her funds were $10,000 which would be around 130,000 today but the church was over 36 million worth, uh-huh. you know, in yeah. our money. So I mean, I'd be happy with 130,000 <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> but not not private jets and all the stuff that we're seeing now. Right. Right. As far as her story beyond that and really the 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 spark of all of this going from radio to TV was what interested right. me and this is going to get a little technical <laughs> businessy okay. stuff but it's necessary to understand how church <laughs> churches get into it yeah in 1934 this is when congress passed the communications act saying oh here's the fcc they grant the broadcast licenses because the electromagnetic spectrum is a national resource that can't be owned by one person so you have to license the bands And with that, you have to broadcast in the public interest. And so religious speakers are like, who then gets to be put on the air? How can we figure this out? So firstly, then it was the ones that could pay. for the case. (laughs) They were just like, well, you have to pay for it then. So this did not go well because the worst example, there was this guy, Father Charles Coughlin, who broadcast in the early 30s, and it was anti-Semitic and racist Mm -hmm. and was definitely not in the public interest, but he was paying. So the system changed then. Okay. Maybe not just money. (laughs) Yeah. So they got larger representative bodies of each faith group and they're given time on the radio for their various messagings. When TV came around in the fifties, it was the same thing. Each group was given different time each Sunday for their TV programs and TV networks had credits that they had to provide a certain amount of this free airtime. So Billy Graham is the big name that was yeah. that happened here and so that's that's where he fits into this. Gotcha. Although the evangelical and fundamentalist groups were excluded from this agreement for what? getting this free airtime because the other denominations, I think maybe three different Jewish groups also got time. So uh-uh. these groups, which were smaller or not involved, then formed their own lobbying group, the National Religious Broadcasters. And here's then the shift. In 1960, they convinced the FCC to change the policy, which creates the boom in the 70s, because the FCC oh, yeah. ruled that local stations could sell airtime for religious programs and still get the credit. So it went back to money. And by... 1977, the paid religious broadcasting was 92% of all the religious broadcasting. Oh, wow. So here comes back the money, and hopefully you can see how that would be how we get (laughs) to where we are now. The first biggest one was in 1960, still around, called the 700 Club. Pat Robertson is the name. And the name stemmed from, could we get 700 people to pay 10 bucks a month to pay the bills to keep us going? it was uh, the name of it was about how much money could we get to keep the program on. The name is the scam. (laughs) Yeah. Or if it wasn't a scam at the beginning, it soon became that, you know, that's, but that was the way that this, if your name
0: is not your, like if your, your name is just supposed to be your mission. So (laughs) the name might as well be pay my bills.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, and then, with deregulation in the '80s, that allowed televangelists to buy up TV station licenses, so on and so forth. So there was not, you, you know, monopolizing certain areas. So then, this brings us to the other thing you saw: the eyes of Tammy Faye. Yes, yes, with Tammy Faye Messner achieving fame alongside Jim Baker as pioneering televangelism in this era. And I had thought with building, kind of talking about. Billy Sunday and sort of the old-time fundamentalist values, or some people might think the messaging of these things is pretty conservative. The irony being, all of this is at the forefront of the emerging technologies at the time, Mm. in terms of radio and then TV and then now satellite technology. So HBO was the first to use it. Their big break, they had been dabbling with it, but the Muhammad Ali-Joe Frazier fight in the Philippines- In seventy five, yeah, was what got them notoriety. But they didn't even turn a profit on Satellite until seventy seven, HBO, and then Turner, which then was became TBS, started in seventy six, and they didn't build up to CNN until nineteen eighty. The third player to get in was CBN, the Christian Broadcast Network, and this is Jim Baker and Tammy Faye in May of seventy eight. They began transmitting via satellite. <laughs> wow. It's like who even wow. had wow. one of those big twenty-foot wow. dishes in their right. backyard to get this? And the uplink initially cost them forty-nine thousand dollars a month, oh, but they saw gosh. they saw the opportunity for it.
0: You know, <laughs> I got it there. I, just for me, as like a film person, uh, <laughs> there was a, a little hint in the movie that actually, like, it, it really. Uh, Depicted the scale mm-hmm. in a way that Jimstones almost overshoots. Jimstones comedically overshoots yeah, yeah. the scale. That's it's inherent in the comedy. That I mean, and it's a great way to make your point. But one thing that actually got me as as, as just a, a guy that likes movies, but then it it may it actually made the case for the scale and how big this was and what they were trying to do mm-hmm. is while they're scouting the properties for like one of the new you know the new campuses. They have Church Fleet Jeeps, like from Jurassic Park, Mm -hmm. and and immediately I go, I'm like, oh yeah, so they're they're (laughs) they're building an empire, Mm and (laughs) and and I I specifically they're trying to evoke Jurassic Park and how big and beautiful that that facility is supposed to feel when you arrive on the island. And I went, and and it was something different than in Gemstones, where they just like are. Every little thing is to the nines. Yeah. this was this was a different hint that spoke a film language. Where I went, oh, I see, yeah. I see.
1: Well, did they get into the theme park?
0: I mean, not not directly. Yeah. I mean, it goes. Ar- it goes around. It's no, because I mean, they did have a theme park. Yeah,
1: like speaking of <laughs> yeah. Jurassic Park, like they literally had. And it was, yes, yeah, <laughs> in '78, and <laughs> <laughs> so I get that completely. It was besides Disneyland and Disney World, it was the most popular. Like it was. Number three. Oh my God. On on oh theme park. God. So yeah, now, the
0: movie like the, the the movie is very much about how their mat their marriage soils. Uh, but, right. And it's then, not and the then whole then centers thing. down on her point of view and how could this have happened around her. So then like no, it's like a, no, I don't. I barely remember the theme park, but, that, <laughs> but that's exactly what was going
1: on. <laughs> yeah. No. It was it was the amount. So then in eighty seven, this is when the empire crumbled because of fraud claims and rape claims and drug abuse, and on and on and on. And so along- I got buried. Buried, yeah. The, the movie that you saw is actually based on a documentary that came out in 2000. And as you had mentioned, Tammy became and was a gay rights advocate. And this documentary was narrated by RuPaul before even RuPaul's Drag Race. Wow. And was directed by the creators of what became RuPaul's Drag Race. Wow. So they're very much invested in her mission with that
0: that's very cool
1: with then the the fault like you're saying that all of this then with TV and everybody coming to bear the fall of Jim Baker with all of his scandal oral Roberts who was also espousing give me money and you'll be blessed his scandal involved essentially claiming the Lord would take him if people didn't donate four and a half million by this time <laughs> so it was like oh God is going <laughs> this to see you're kill ransoming me. yourself yeah <laughs> that's brilliant it's horrifying that's a brilliant scheme. yeah but that God. that basically tanked him of people being like what in the world and then jimmy Swaggert was the other guy who was involved in prostitution oh wow and so all of this is happening within the span of a few years that is really what soured people to the whole endeavor or so it seems and i could only really find like you're saying in terms of satirizing this there was a movie called pass the ammo which came out in 88 right after the baker and swagger scandals mm, yeah and is is i don't I don't know how good it is or not but it's got bill paxton tim curry mm, annie Potts. i'm in yeah <laughs> i'm in yeah don't say no more <laughs> so but that's really the only one that, that right in the thick of it pushed the envelope and and had something to say about it, but maybe it's too close. So, kind of that. Well, that, now what I see is
0: the generation that was watching this on TV is now old enough to be making content mm-hmm. about that. So, it, 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 I, I think, I think it is Danny McBride coming into sentience while Tammy Faye's empire is burning to the ground. <laughs> We're finally now getting to a point where. It, we can process some of this and we have come, we have matured as a society uh, over the last few decades to be able to talk about, you know, abusive power, positions of power, power yeah. dynamics. Uh, in all sorts of institutions, we used to think of these things so close-minded, and so in a you know very strict point of view, and this is this is I think that's how they sold righteous gemstones: is mm-hmm. abuse of power can happen anywhere, uh, and so this is the place that we least expect it, especially since the the blow up at the back end of the of the eighties yeah. into the nineties. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, it's felt like this went away, but it didn't.
1: But it didn't. Yeah, it, it is a large part of the Christian. US population that is still consuming this material. And what was old and thought gone is bigger and newer. And the change in the market is like, oftentimes, these people are not directly asking for money on a TV show. God is going to kill me. (laughs) That's not (laughs) happening so much anymore. But it's all the self-help books and YouTube clips and appearances. And it's kind of the new name with the same game. Yeah. Uh,
0: It always seems to work out that way, but it was really interesting in this one to see with these two different pieces of media being very, very, very different in tone, mm -hmm. um, sharing this commonality to see all the parallels. I mean, the story of Amy and uh, just is, is... it looks exactly like Tammy Faye at an arm's distance. It's amazing that the precedent is all there. And even digging mm-hmm. deeper, all of that is still present in Righteous Gemstones. I mean, this is pretty fascinating now that the generation that watched all of this calamity explode at the back end of the 80s is now being able to make this content. Um, yeah, now we get these pieces, now we're ready for something like this to be yeah. able to to really look in the mirror and be, accept that, well, you know, abuse of power can happen anywhere.
1: Yeah, and, and again, not nearly everything, not even close to everything. It's not an indictment of it all, but just these specific people that have giant houses and say that you're not giving enough is still... I
0: thought it was interesting that Tammy Faye, one of the last lines, I think the last line delivered by the the Baker character played by Andrew Garfield. uh, He's in prison at the end. Tammy has come to meet him talking about she was asked to sing. She hasn't performed in almost a decade and they're just catching up. They haven't seen each other in a long, in a, in a, in a long time. And in this introspective moment, he, he, he's asking, he's like, we, were we preaching that if you were poor, God didn't love you or loved you less? And it was very interesting to see the character ask that, verbalize that mm-hmm. out loud, processing it, knowing that he wasn't intentionally saying that, but was he inadvertently saying that right. through all of their actions? I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really poignant note for that character to end on. Right,
1: like you could start from a a place of yeah. honesty, and it corrupts you. Yeah, yeah. We just need 700, <laughs> 700 people. We just Oh,
0: gosh. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, let us know what you thought of this episode of the, the idea of mega churches. Do you like Righteous Gemstones? Is it blasphemy? Or did you like Tammy Faye more? Get in touch with us at IlliterateBot on Instagram. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching. Let us know what you're excited for. You never know when we will cover that thing you want to know all about. So look for us next week. We'll see you then.